comfort, the beauty of imperfection, the allure of time-worn objects, and the appeal of simple, practical living. These are the cornerstones of what has come to be known as the shabby chic style. Though some may find the phrase shabby chic, the idea that something can be shabby, faded, and dilapidated, can be considered chic, elegant, and stylish, paradoxical, (laughs) the two elements go hand in hand. Shabbiness, in its shunning of what is too new, modern, or ostentatious, as well as in its rebellion against perfection, is precisely what makes this comfortable look so alluring. The cozy familiarity of a well-worn, beloved pair of faded blue jeans versus the starched stiffness of a new pair is the appeal of shabby chic. So that was an excerpt from Rachel Ashwell's book, Shabby Chic, published originally in 1996. And Rachel Ashwell, we'll get into her later, but she is the inventor of the term shabby chic, which is what this episode is about today. This, this episode was actually, um, this is a re-recording, full disclosure to all listeners. We had a really shabby disaster last audio recording. The audio sounded really fried. There was nothing we could do to fix it. And so we have transcribed this episode thanks to Alexi's wonderful skills. And we're going to do a popcorn reading of the script and add more information as to what we've learned. Yeah, some some critical developments in shabby chic studies have occurred since we originally recorded. So it's true. <laughs> um, if if it sounds like we're, you know, reading a Shakespeare play <laughs> in a class or something, that might be why. That would be so fun. We should do that. Yeah, I feel like we should switch like roles halfway. Like we should start reading each other's parts or something like that. I you mean, know? in transcribing the episode, I realized we really all do say different things. <laughs> <laughs> I when I read it, I was like, "It's us just being like, yeah, yeah." <laughs> no, but yeah, it's like yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, so back to the popcorn reading of Hamlet. <laughs> Shall we start? Yeah, yes. ladies. Okay, so Alexi, you're just talking about faded blue jeans being shabby chic but I really have never thought of blue jeans being shabby chic yeah like pre-ripped jeans they're pretty it seems like philosophically shabby chic ripped jeans are pretty controversial among the elderly population um my grandfather would tell me he would be upset whenever I would wear ripped jeans to see him he was like a great depression guy uh okay I'm confused but I'll keep going. Okay. Um, Just go from your line. I feel like we can yeah. make it work. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sam, the script. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll skip the script. I'll stick to the, the script. script. Okay. okay. So, yeah, I yeah. do feel like that fashion argument is, like, existing for so long. It really has spanned through all different eras of fashion in our lifetime. And in modern shabby chic, we have a, a bit of a controversy. We'll get to that later in the episode, though. So, yeah. So this episode, guys, as we've mentioned, is about shabby chic, which is pretty unique because I don't think we've ever done an episode on... <laughs> like, a word? Just a word. Yeah, that's true. But it's also <laughs> something that originated from interior design. So, like, super flat, the episode that we did recently was pretty graphic designy. There are other things that have just come from, like, Tumblr or Pinterest images, but shabby chic, it really, it comes from the home. Yeah, we've talked a couple times about doing an Avant Basic episode, which 
definitely has a really direct correlation in interiors, but obviously we haven't done that. So this is our first time going from the home to the haute couture. Yeah. So true. And Frufru had some interior design elements too with the Laura Ashley company being popular with interior design as well as clothing. Um, so I guess that's in line with some of the things that we've been talking about recently, but this is fully something that started as an interior design trend. It has moved onto the streets and the bodies of people. It's infectious. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I would say that people have always been wearing tattered clothes in some shape or form, especially rich people. But shabby chic, the way we're defining in this episode, which is really per this designer, Rachel Ashwell, definitely originates really strongly in the home. Uh, But should we talk about how or why this is very contemporary in the moment, besides like obviously our own personal interest in it? Yeah, well, many people may be familiar with the clothing brand Magnolia Pearl, which has gone pretty viral on TikTok recently due to a creator named Chelsea Jordan, who films her mom doing fit checks. And her mom is this older woman who dresses like an extra in Pirates of the Caribbean. And she's kind of naming all the different elements of her outfit. And 90% of it is just from Magnolia Pearl. And a lot of these are paid partnerships, but I think it just started as them being fans. And Magnolia Pearl is a brand that I took an interest in because it's a Texas brand, specifically a central Texas brand, which is where I live. It's pretty close by me in Austin and Fredericksburg, Texas. And this is a update from the last time that we recorded Shabby Chic. I actually went and did a reconnaissance mission and visited um, the Magnolia Pearl flagship location in Fredericksburg, Texas. And But these two girls on TikTok um, have been wearing Magnolia Pearl. I think they're Northeastern, which is interesting. They have no tie to kind of like the Southern farmhouse origins of Shabby Chic, but their home is very Shabby Chic. And Magnolia Pearl is a boutique clothing store founded in 2002 by Robin Brown, who is best described, I think, as a batty old woman. Um, And the clothing is made from vintage materials or inspired by vintage materials, I learned when I visited the store. And according to Robin, it's a combination of the movie Fried Green Tomatoes meets the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, then throw in a little Oliver Twist with a splash of the old Texas West. She, she became interested in vintage fabrics because her mother owned a vintage store in San Antonio, and she discovered her love of, while mending and repairing vintage clothing for her mother's store. And I also wanted to include like a little description of Fredericksburg, Texas, because I think it's a very shabby, chic town. It's a really popular tourist destination in the Texas Hill Country, and it's known for its like wineries and its spring wildflower blooms, which are really beautiful. Uh, it was planted by Lady Bird Johnson, billions and billions of wildflowers on the Texas highway. And it's kind of like a really cute pioneer vibe. It's known for the town is known for its German heritage. And I like to think of it as like the Christian girl autumn capital of Texas. A lot of girls and ladies from Dallas like to take girls trips to the wineries at Fredericksburg. Um, and it's like a sorority girl wedding destination here in our great state. And it's very little house on the prairie-esque. And then in Magnolia Pearl, the elements that kind of meet within it, I think if you haven't seen the clothing, the best way to describe it is very collage-like, like a mixture of 70s rock star girlfriend meets steampunk, meets hobo tramp chic, meets hippie chic, meets Victoriana, belly pock frou-frou, Midwestern pioneer core a la Willa Cather, or Little House on the Prairie, and a little bit of crust punk and a lot of boho. So it's known for a kind of mismatch of... Distressed lace and Victorian fabrics. It's very airy, flowy, 
Um, Oliver Twist is a really good way of describing it. What do you guys think about the clothing in the store? Would you guys wear it? Um, looking at it, like on the website, there are some shirts that seem interesting, but then it's almost like a Forever 21 type thing where you'll flip around to the back and written in bleach, there'll be these drippy DIY letters that say Magnolia Pearl Love. And then the O in love is a peace sign and stuff like that. So that's where it gets a bit cross punky to me, like the paint splatters and DIY additions. Um, I also just, yeah, I wouldn't wear most of this, I think. Uh, I think I would wear it, but I think the context of me wearing it would be different because I'm in England. Yeah. Yeah. It would be like the cultural export thing with Japan and preppy clothing, but with shabby chic like wearing texas's iteration of shabby chic which originated in england i think would be like a lot of fun sam we want to know all about the magnolia pearl headquarters because honestly you were sending us some crazy missives yeah so (laughs) so um i went and i did a reconnaissance mission i drove through fredericksburg on a long western road trip that i took the past couple of days um and I stopped at Magnolia Pearl and coming into it, it was literally like going into like a shabby chic dimension. It was like going through space or something and just being thrust into this sort of like rusty farmhouse, rustic type thing. And when I went in the store, there was only two people there. I went right when it opened. And I just like – maybe I shouldn't have done this because I feel like now they're going to listen to this episode. But I was like, hi, I'm Sam. I'm with a podcast called Nymphet Alumni. Oh, I'm my doing- God. <laughs> Wait, no. I didn't realize that. That's so funny. Yeah, and because I was like, I have to be like journalistic and professional. And they were like, yeah, okay, totally. And like they were giving me like the star treatment when I walked in there. That's kind of what I why I told them I wanted them to like really treat me right because I felt kind of weird going in by myself. Like, I don't know. And I was kind of busted too because I was like on the road. But anyways, I go into the store and I'm like interrogating the two workers. Like, where do you get all of this stuff? Like, what's with the fabric? And I tried on some of the clothing and I have to say, like, I really liked it. I tried on this, like, drop waist 1940s dress and I, like, it broke my heart that I left it behind, but it was $400 and I just don't have that. So, um, but the clothing was really nice. But when I started asking about where, like, all of the clothing was made, I was under the impression that it was upcycled because it just looks really upcycled. But here's the tea, which is really interesting, is that apparently Robin, the founder, likes to collect a lot of vintage fabric. And she takes this to India, like all of the vintage fabric to India. And she has a team of about like 100 people recreate all of these pieces of vintage fabric and physically distress them. And it's all like really high thread count and so it lasts longer. And I think they recreate the upcycled fabric so that it's not – it's like still good quality clothing um, with a upcycled look to it. But yeah, none of it is upcycled. It's all like copies of fabric that they found. Um, what they told me mostly in France and that sort of thing. But yeah, people like hand distress it and put paint all over it and stuff like that. But each piece is one of a kind. That's what I learned. <laughs> so that that was my – my experience at, at Magnolia Pearl, what I learned while Guys, there. this is the biggest mindfuck ever because, <laughs> yeah, like, this – before Sam went, we were trying to understand what it would be like just from, like, going on the website and reading reviews on TripAdvisor and Yelp. And there were a lot of negative reviews on, like, review websites being like, the artist must painstakingly sew together fragments of 
discarded jean material, old t-shirts, old worn shoes and rugs to make dresses and jackets. And then they were like listing all these ridiculous prices for stuff, which like, yeah, if you do think of it as like a batty old lady, just like sewing everything by hand might make sense. But I don't know, like it is kind of crazy that it's one of a kind, but it is also like a pastiche of distressed fabric. Yeah, and it's like me a lot of like I don't know if you guys remember when Urban Outfitters started doing its like vintage collections or like reworked upcycled collections, and they'd be like each piece is like one of a kind, so it might not look like the photo on the website. I feel like they just do that so that they don't have to promise you that it'll look like what's on the website for the most part. Well. It's I will like say fuck what around and find out. It's but. it's like a quality control hack. Like you don't have it to do is. quality it's control such a quality you can control just be hack. like uh they're all one of a kind. Yeah. Like <laughs> that, actually. It's it's so genius, but it is fucked up because like girls like us who are concerned about waste and <clears throat> sustainability as we are, like I don't know, the one upside of Magnolia Pearl to me. Well, there are lots of upsides, like the clothes look, <laughs> look kinda good. But you know, I was imagining that she's like saving fabric from landfills but what's essentially happening is that she's picking some cute shit out of a landfill and being like this is really cute we should make more of it and then just like throwing it back in mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I mean it I will say like um the fabric feeling it I was spent a lot of time feeling the fabric it's a really really high thread count it's super good quality I can tell that the clothes are gonna last a long time and what it's kind of like the opposite of the urban outfitters effect where it's like when you order it online I think people are gonna be surprised by how that it's actually like good quality because it just kind of looks kind of like rags like really fragile rags when you see it online but whenever you get it it's really really sturdy and comfortable so I think that's why they do it but it is like super weird I'm like why are you just like I don't know it's like uh I think Robin keeps all of the stuff for herself like all of the stuff that's that made from crazy. upcycle fabric yeah she keeps it herself yeah, he's a so. porter he's a yeah. vibe porter but yeah I was trying on all the clothes very comfortable, very nice. I really wish I could have gotten this one dress, which was so cute, but it's very, very expensive. And that's where I think a lot of the controversy on TikTok is. There's a lot of discourse about it. People are upset and they're kind of saying, which like um, that Magnolia Pearl is like poverty core or it's like rich people stealing poverty valor or something. I understand those criticisms, but I also think they're a bit ridiculous because it's been literally like 200 years <laughs> since a person has been walking down the street wearing a Magnolia Pearl style outfit would be thought of as poor. It's like 1850s poor, not 2020s poor. And I don't know why everyone's going to bat for like Victorian or orphan cultural appropriation. <laughs> it just seems a little like... It's delusional. delusional. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I think it's just like misdirected frustration during this recession era. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. And it's also like an aesthetic that I've always thought of as kind of wealthy. I think of free people and anthropology is very adjacent to this, which has always been kind of expensive stores, you know? Yeah, I have a theory on this. So I will say across the board, it feels like Shabby Chic is 100% the domain of white women, specifically with blonde hair. Like, if you go on the Magnolia on Magnolia Pearl's website, all of their models tend to have really light blonde hair. Their styling is insane. It's so psychotic. Yeah, no, it's literally psycho. But I think what has happened here on TikTok is that the woman who has gone viral for wearing Magnolia Pearl is like at least past middle age, probably in her fifties, 
you know, she's like on the she's on the shorter side. She's a little more like dumpling esque. <laughs> she you know she has a rounder face, ruddy cheeks, kind of like brown hair. She's past middle age, et cetera, et cetera. So I feel like that is making people think of, you know, you said this is like how someone who is making a fire in East London in like 1850 would dress. So I feel like that people are getting a little confused. Yeah, it's like um, building a fire from a trash can. It's like giving tramp like oi mista. Oi mista. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, but there is like an older woman version of that. But when an ethereal blonde woman wears it, it really is where so much of the context for shabby chic is set, which also is basically the founder of shabby chic TM. She's a blonde woman named Rachel Ashwell. Yeah, I I just can't get over the headwear on this website. Like, it's very Mad Hatter. They're wearing these little top hats and, like, a Napoleon-style hat and also a beaded turban. Like, they just can't (laughs) wear normal things on their head. (laughs) Yeah, I think also a lot of the models have dreads in a lot of the lookbooks, which is very crust-punky. And I also think there's a take that I have with Shabby Chic, especially in the context of the origin in Fredericksburg, which is Christian – which is, like I said, the Christian girl autumn capital of Texas – and it's my theory with Magnolia Pearl is that this is very like Protestant aesthetics. Like we talked about in Christian Girl Autumn, um, Biz forecasted Protestant core as kind of trending perhaps. And I almost think that this might be the boho version of Protestant core because it's very Puritan. Like God helps those who help themselves frugality. It's like Protestant women connecting with their ancestral roots of being frugal or adopting the aesthetics of frugality like very faux protestant mentality i don't know if that makes sense (laughs) yeah it's also something about the big t-shirts on here remind me a lot of how young life girls would dress it's quite modest isn't it yes yeah it's like modest slouchy slouchy yeah yeah but it, it's also got that style of 70s lettering on a lot of shirts where some of them say space disco and some of them have cats on them. Yeah, I feel like that was a mistake for them to do that. Like, I know. It, it's It just, it feels like that's a more recent thing they've started to do to maybe appeal more to like the wine mommies of Texas, Sam, that you've mentioned as going on these girls trips and patronizing the store. Yeah, some of it is quite surfy too. Like, there's a shirt that says Aloha. There's something that says Hang Loose with a surfboarder on it. It's, I don't know, it's reminding me of like the really Christian girls that I grew up with who then like moved to Hawaii and started doing watercolor painting. I sadly don't know any of those girls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe it's a really specific example. <laughs> I kind of know what you're talking about. It's like Utah, like, yeah, you know what I mean? like Utah adventurous, beautiful, low maintenance girls. Yeah, this is like when the van life era is over and you have to settle down in a country town and be like the most stylish person there, like a big fish, small pond style situation. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, Yeah, you can't let anyone forget that you're a little bit different. I think that's also why it's so appealing to moms because it's pretty individualistic and maybe that sense of individuality can get lost through motherhood or something. And I mm. think it's also, that's why it's very appealing to be like a quirky boho mom. Hmm. yeah you guys have honestly jogged my memory because like i actually did know a girl in high school slash middle school who was like stunningly beautiful model-esque super 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 long blonde hair extremely christian loved the lord went to a christian university and like she was 
like locally famous for a while because she had dreads like she got dreads and I feel like that feels quite related to the picture that we're painting here with these these girls yeah Yeah. I mean I think we've talked about this before on the podcast but I don't think this was just my school but like the most popular kids at my school were really crunchy white kids who would get dreads (laughs) yeah I like I seriously wonder if they're still doing that I mean we've been out of high school for a while but like I wonder if that type of person is still getting dreads or if they've grown out of it after like the conversation around cultural appropriation escalated more I don't know. It's like Jack Johnson swag. Like they were all really into Jack Johnson. Yeah, like banana pancakes. <laughs> banana, banana pancakes. Banana. <laughs> banana pancakes. Banana pancakes. <laughs> uh, wait, yeah, the minions. I love that song. Wait, minions need to cover that song. I feel like the minions Loki do have a like happy go lucky vibe, like a Christian popular girl would have. Yeah, it's true. And the overalls too that they wear. Yeah, yeah. I love it. It's true. I need my Um, minion. Anyways, same. Yeah, I also would love a minion. Um, I went to a wedding recently from somebody that I knew from my high school. They got married, and I saw a lot of the people that I went to high school with. And I grew up in a beach town, so a lot of those people were like Christian surfer beachy people that did have dreads and most of them had cut off their dreads um but they were still wearing like kind of like vans like checkered vans with their suits and stuff like they still had that broy california thing but they elevated it a bit it's like this whole shabby chic thing has a very southern california feel to it yeah maybe if i get into the the rachel ashwell of it all we can explain what was going on there um so I think it's really interesting that this originated in interior design because it clues us in on the key characteristics of the original audience of Shabby Chic, mostly that they're feminine homemaker types and remodelistas with a DIY spirit who love the essence of salvaging and refurbishing antiques, which is now a huge, like, I feel like that's like 90% of what happens on Facebook is people buying and refurbishing furniture with chalk paint and such. Um, (laughs) And yeah, celebrating signs of wear and distress and household items, which it's kind of like a sad tale because I think a lot of people think of shabby chic now as really chooky because they associate it with new products that are designed to look old, which we've just discovered is like the case with Magnolia Pearl. But yeah, there's a lot of shabby chic stuff that you would see in Marshalls or things that are like fake old and also farmhouse, which is a really big millennial chook thing. Um, Even though it is like the foremother of cottagecore, it's aligned with this, as we mentioned, Christian Girl Autumn, really mainstream mason jar, fairy light barn wedding thing. Farmhouse remodels also seem to inspire a lot of rage in netizens, I guess. But wait, how do you guys feel about farmhouse interiors? It depends. It depends on how you ex- execute it. The execution is very important. I've seen some really good farmhouse interiors at Airbnbs that have been really inspiring to me. But it could go wrong really quickly. I will say at the Magnolia Pearl flagship location, they had a really elevated, super clean farmhouse aesthetic that was really pretty. And it felt really nice coming off of the highway, like literally I-10. And zoom. it's like you're going at like 60 miles an hour and then you have to do like this sharp right turn and you're like your heart is beating super fast because <laughs> you're trying to like get to the Magnolia Pearl store without crashing. And then you just like pull into this like bright white clean like rustic farmhouse it was so Wait, pretty i'm really surprised that it's clean because for some reason i thought it would be like really dusty in there me too 
actually the way they set it up was almost like I mean I guess it is kind of a a luxury store it is a luxury store like you go in there and then they have like the showroom downstairs and then upstairs you can go try on clothes but downstairs is almost like a art gallery They, they just have like it's like super sparse and minimalistic and they have mannequins wearing the styled clothing like kind of dispersed randomly across the showroom floor and then they take you upstairs to where the actual clothing is and you can try it on in like this farmhouse bathroom that they have up there which well, like maybe that's a recent thing so i feel like i saw older pictures of the store was really giving like barn and like distressed wood and stuff but maybe people coming off the highway were getting confused because they were like why does this place look so shitty and like the clothes <laughs> are shitty like maybe that's how they made it clear well it is it is actually in a barn it's like in an old barn it's just like i don't know how to explain it because it's still rustic and rusty and the wood is distressed just like the clothing it's just like a lot cleaner than you'd expect in real life it's very chic and yeah shabby chic it, i really encapsulated what it felt like mm-hmm. but i think back to the modern farmhouse interior i think the main prob- problem with it and why people are so upset about it is that there's a lot of gray. You know, the color like- gray. Yeah, it should be red and colorful. <laughs> yeah, millennial gray is like, yeah, it really should be a red barn. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> old McDonald had a farm type vibe. <laughs> Agreed. I lived in a farmhouse for a while, but it was a new one kind of because it was made completely with like reclaimed slash old materials And I feel like you have to do it that way to make it feel right. Because otherwise it does have a feeling of like a live, laugh, love sign that has distressing on the corners. But I do think that the farmhouse thing, it must be like you said, because it's become so gray that it's really unappealing to people. It definitely needs to have like an array of colors that even if they're like, you know, dirty or rusty, it can't just be gray. It really can't. Like, where <laughs> are you going to find gray on the farm? Like, it's literally <laughs> just the grain silo. I don't know. Um, it's like the chicken wire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It really gives, like, you know, in Wizard of Oz when her house is in black and white at the beginning. That intro to Wizard of Oz actually does feel really shabby chic, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, she's like Dust Bowl shabby chic, which honestly I think Dust Bowl slays. Yeah, Dust Bowl aesthetics. I feel like I, those have been kind of plaguing me for a bit. Not to use double like entendre there, but Dust Bowl aesthetics <laughs> have been really they've they've been doing something to me lately. One thing I was looking at because Robin Brown, the founder of Magnolia Pearl, said that she likes a lot of old west aesthetics, and I don't really see any of this in Magnolia Pearl. I see very Midwestern pioneer stuff. Like, that's why I mentioned Willa Cather earlier, like, O Pioneers. She's, like, an author who wrote a book about Nebraska and the settlers and pioneers in Nebraska. It's very wagon wheel aesthetics, you know? It's more the plains, and I think the Old West is more dusty and not grassy. Like, the hill country in Fredericksburg is very grassy. It's very Great Plains core. But the rest of the West is way more dusty, I think, for shabby chic to fit in it needs to be kind of in a more grassy plains like area, you know? Yeah. Shabby Chic has a dustiness to it for sure, especially in the color scheme. Like all the OG stuff was very dusty rose, I think was a big signature color. Yeah. And the florals were quite faded and a bit dusty. Mm, True. True. Very true. Yeah. Like lots of linen, like very, very old faded linens with dainty floral patterns from Europe. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I love the linens. This is true. This is true. 
Okay, so Rachel Ashwell, I'll introduce to you guys formally. She's our new best friend. Um, so she was born in 1959 and grew up in London. And her origins, like, it literally sounds like one of those house hunter memes where it's like her parents had kind of ridiculous jobs but seemed mysteriously pretty wealthy. Her mom restored antique dolls and teddy bears. And her father was a secondhand rare books dealer. So yeah, it's giving family money. It's giving jobby. I know. And she dropped out of school at 16 to kind of join the family business loosely and sell antiques at London outdoor markets where her family was always dealing their teddy bears and books and such. And then she moved to Santa Monica, California in the early 80s and opened her first store called Shabby Chic in 1989. I didn't know that she really invented the word shabby chic. Yeah, that's when the empire started with that store. But that's just beautiful. Yeah, and it's crazy to think about how old this is, but it was stocked with her curated and or refurbished flea market antiques, and they were flying off the shelves. Um, She also attributes the beginning of this part of her career to her obsession with slip covering, which it's kind of what it sounds like. It's just like when you make covers for furniture. And so she was making a lot of these and selling them to her friends. Uh, It's kind of a part of her shabby chic philosophy where she's like, you know, I didn't want to be so precious about my furniture. Like, I just wanted to cover it with the washable thing. Because when you're a busy mom and you have kids and stuff, you can't like steam clean your couch every day. So she's really well known for these, these big loosely slip covered chairs that look super comfy and just have a ton of linens and like frumpy pillows on top of them. Yeah, I really liked that she said that she covered the furniture in denim, which to me was really... Yeah, it was a lot of white denim. Yeah, that's like amazing. I actually, um, since we first recorded this episode, I started adding white denim slipcovers to my cart for my new apartment. So I think I might have a white denim slipcover in my apartment. (laughs) Yeah. One of the houses that she did that's featured in the Shabby Chic book from 96, I think, she shows this uh, like movie theater room in some rich client's house but instead of like movie theater seats it's just like these two huge like floppy couches <laughs> that mm. are like stacked back to back and for some reason that image really stuck with me yeah I, I was really thinking about slip covering some stuff but back to the narrative west coast metropoles like LA and San Francisco became shabby chic epicenters throughout the 90s And an important part of this is that she hosted a TV show called Rachel Ashwell's Shabby Chic from 1999 to 2003, which aired on E! and the Style Network. And by 2010, she had stores in LA, New York, and London. She also had a Simply Shabby Chic diffusion line, and it was sold exclusively through Target. And Shabby Chic bedding and linen sold at Walmart, among other places. So She's like the shabby chic queen and we read her book. It's pretty great. She's definitely an inspiration to us. But yeah, how do you guys feel about her vibe? Um, My favorite part, which is a quote that you highlighted, Alexi, in our notes, was that the introduction of the shabby chic book, which described how she said, I did not invent this relaxed style. Europeans have long appreciated this approach to living. Witness the dilapidated elegance of an Italian villa, French castle, or English country estate whose owners can easily afford new furnishings, but prefer the worn grandeur of faded velvets and peeling vanities handed down from their ancestors. Some have called the shabby yet elegant look a marriage between the laid-back breezy ease of Los Angeles beach life and the romantic prettiness of English country life at its most casual. 
So I think for critics who say that shabby chic is poverty core, I think this is why I disagree with it so much because it's very old money European villa, like a dilapidated villa. They talked about this on the new season of White Lotus. I, so I'm like reading I said that. I'm like, what the fuck? Okay. Well, they I think about succession. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, White Lotus. Um, yeah, they talk about that in White Lotus – just like how all the aristocrats have these dilapidated mansions that they just pour all their money into making sure that they stay standing and now they're mostly broke. But this is a very old money aristocracy aesthetic, like historic antiques, artifacts that are melting with time, you know? Wait, Biz, I I wonder, didn't you go to an English country estate in the time that has since elapsed? I did, yeah. I went to my friend's cottage in uh, the English countryside and it was quite shabby chic. Honestly, it's the cottage is I think is like like a it's like a thousand years old or something crazy. Oh my God. Like, that. like it's like so old. But it it just hasn't a beautiful accumulation of art and furniture and decor throughout time periods. And that really just comes together and it just it just feels so cozy and inviting and just like you can feel how time has passed, but in a really pleasant way hmm. um it's a great place to pass the time there's a real art to making to i guess combining things from different time periods without making your home feel like a museum yeah yeah i feel like you just have to put random shit in there like yeah I feel like you have to put, the like, randomosity of it all a yeah. drawing that like your great aunt did if you try to make it too like the art too nice i feel like that's where it gets weird you're like what mm. is this yeah, uh, you have to support local artists. <laughs> yeah, you have to support local artists for real. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, Sam, about villas and such. I think preservation of this kind of thing, historic architecture and decorative arts, is a major passion of rich people. It would seem. Um. Yeah, I actually have started attending a church as well in London. That's literally a thousand years old like I was exaggerating before but like this is actually a thousand years old um but like the end of every service they literally announce like they plead for donations in a way that is kind of unsightly they're like there is a QR code in your booklet there is a tapping machine on your way out there are links on YouTube there are links on Facebook and there's also a card a catalog card that you fill out with your credit card number on the booklet as well which I'm not trying to shame them for this I'm just trying to say that maintaining these extremely old grand structures is so insanely expensive it seems that yeah you kind of just have to accept them as they crumble and just I guess try to keep the lights on this whole argument or discourse reminds me a lot of Italian futurism like I feel like this is the kind of ethos that futurists were really against because they were just like you know the ruling class loves to fetishize old stuff but they wanted to celebrate technology and cars and airplanes and get rid of museums and destroy everything that was I don't know like old and I get why if you were super super lefty you would think that it's really conservative to hold on to things because it does give hoarding wealth vibes and like also the term conservative literally is like conserving Mm -hmm. stuff Mm -hmm. um but I also I don't know I resonate with this mentality just because I support the arts (laughs) I support the arts as well and I support beautiful dusty old things but i guess for a lot of people it just isn't that convenient of a lifestyle like it's like there's literally a hole in your ceiling yeah yeah in terms of the inconvenience of it all there are always gonna be some 
a certain class of people who don't really need to make money, but they have made this their passion. And it's what we like to call a jobby, a job hobby. Um, there are a lot of boutiques in Brooklyn and such that are just like women selling linen sacks and upcycled goods that are sustainably yeah. made. <laughs> I actually started my career as a shabby chic intern. <gasps> yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. She says, um, period. <laughs> girlfriend. This is really like, wait, this is how like rappers have to record ad libs when they're in the studio. I know. I feel like Nicki Minaj. It's lit. Um, <laughs> yeah, club going up. Um, yeah, but okay. in my hometown in South Carolina, I worked in this pottery studio of this female entrepreneur who also sold shabby chic clothing. And I would spend like hours a day ripping up strips of fabric and then making them into dream catchers. Oh my which god. Which was a really crazy way to spend the time. <laughs> yeah, it was really epic, but to the point about it not being very viable and also quite jobby, she was able to make her business succeed for the time that it did. I don't think it exists anymore through being like very savvy. Like, uh, I remember the her landlord, she struck a deal with him. Um, that was like she would give his daughter a good deal to sell her stuff in her store for a couple months for a couple months rent free on her loft apartment um yeah so it's just like a it's a very social enterprise it's very girl about the town yeah every time i interact with older people back home they're always like you're so artsy you really need to meet my friend who is like this lady you've described like makes lampshades or makes dream catchers or something yeah i feel like at this point i'm like sign me up for that but um <laughs> there is this is more of a fashion element, you know, but I actually didn't really fully think about Shabby Chic being British and its contemporary origins because, like we mentioned, it has become so flattened into this TJ Maxx aesthetic. So obviously it has that European twist that we all know, but I really didn't think about its true origin. I just want to talk about how there's this like certain kind of posh English girl who dresses kind of Shabby Chic. Um, but it's like her clothes kind of look like they're from far corners of the Silk Road. But then they have these really beautifully contrasting English slash domestic slash European elements. So it'll be something that feels like it's from Morocco, but then there's like a barber jacket or she has like a gap tooth or she's wearing <laughs> a, a white linen shirt that is somehow like rumpled and crisp at the same time. And I feel like obviously that crosses over into boho territory, but I just want to note that in England, it's actually so disarming to see these Sienna Miller types because they physically look really, really different than the average British person. They have that like preternatural California glow, which, yeah, I just wanted to point out that point of contrast and why I think this whole persona is so appealing in England uh yeah. because they just look so different than how the average British person puts themselves together even like the genetic makeup that they have basically yeah and they're like just handsome how but it's only sunny like 30 days of the year or something like yeah it's very unnatural it's probably because they're what Alexi calls trustafarians <laughs> it's my favorite very, like, word <laughs> yeah <laughs> trustafarians yeah I yeah. think um everyone agrees <laughs> like, <with> the- <laughs> Like, what? <laughs> Sorry, okay. I, I put that in there. I thought it'd be helpful. I thought um, that was an actual. I thought that was an actual like thing. No, it's a stage direction. <laughs> <laughs> this is so epic. Okay, yeah, like traveling girls that travel to India, or you know, that I mean, you know, Robin makes um, you know, shabby chic 
clothing in India. Apparently, okay, this is what's crazy is that she, the lady was like telling me very, very intensely. She was like, yeah, she has like a group of a hundred Indian women that like sit on the ground and like sew these pieces by hand. And I was like, bro, like what is going on in here? A couple weeks back, after you know, before the shabby incident, um, I did go to like an amazing vintage fair and it really just made me realize how much shabby chic vintage dominates kind of like the vintage market here. Like so many of the booths were just like these distressed linen or white kind of stained but falling apart like top shawls and dresses. Wow. Yeah, I obviously know that pieces from Edwardian Victorian eras and earlier are always going to be a part of vintage fairs and vintage reselling especially at that kind of level of like professionalism but it just seems you know like people here maybe were a bit more interested or these clothes were a bit more common than I experienced in America yeah I mean I think um you do have to go to specific vintage fairs to see it. I'm a seasoned antiquer. I love antiquing. You go to like an antique mall or an antique fair and the booth has a bunch of distressed upcycled clothing that some lady clearly put together herself. You know that you're about to spend $600 on like a lampshade or something. It's always really, really expensive. But I think it's in the corners of some of the areas of like the chic antique malls. This is also something I wanted to throw in randomly is I I think I mentioned before I just I'm in LA right now I drove from Texas and through Fredericksburg um and I realized like Texas really is almost like the nation's capital of antique stores like we drove through New Mexico and Arizona I did not see a single antique store but in Texas every single little town has like five or six antique stores or an antique mall so if if anyone's like an antique or any uh, shabby chic entrepreneur is listening you guys you guys should come down here and pick some fabric out of I don't know what landfill and actually use it but I feel like that's kind of in line with my conservative hypothesis like if you're invested in the past and conserving history you are going to be more into antiques possibly I don't know no you're totally right about that yeah no remember when I told the story about the Nazi that I accidentally bought a civil war bullet from (laughs) yeah um that was at an antique like convention in where was it babe where where was it? Never mind. Graphic designer boyfriend and be like <laughs> dead silent. No, he made like a noise. He was like, <laughs> I think I didn't realize he was asleep. I'm sorry. Oh, um, <laughs> oh my god. He's asleep at the keyboard. <laughs> He's asleep at the, at the walk-home pad. Um, On the walking pad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways. If you want to... Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, just a random recommendation for anyone in Texas. If you're, y'all are ever driving through Waco, outside of Waco, there's this place called Style Station. It's really – it just kind of jumps out at you. It's off the highway as well. Um, it's, like, amazing. They have so many – like, just, like, a hordes and hordes of vintage denim, for, like, Levi's. And it's all from, like, the 1940s, and it's, like, child size. But I know for a fact that Lana Del Rey likes to show up there when she comes to Texas these days. Whoa. Yeah, she is a little bit shabby chic. Yeah, especially nowadays that she's wearing that Target dress. <laughs> yeah, from, from Wild Fable. She's, yeah, like mass market shabby chic. I wanted to mention something. I think it's interesting to think about the way clothes operate in this aesthetic. Because as you mentioned, there are some of these really, really historic pieces that you can find these women selling that are obviously beyond wear. And I don't know, like they feel comfortable selling you some kind of tea-stained, sweat-stained bloomer with 
a giant hole in the ass and I'm just like why are you even selling this like what are you supposed to do with that but I think it's also like the girl version of being into military surplus like I've dated this guy who's really into that Mm. stuff and he would buy t-shirts from the Vietnam War and other kind of like vintage military ephemera but then he would hang them up as decoration just on a wire hanger in his house and I think because of this obsession with rumpled and haphazard textiles and layering and the interior design side of shabby chic this is like something that happens really naturally there's this one account that I follow called Heather's Shabby Cottage and I've always wanted to buy something from her she has a really good selection like an online store but it's a big part of her photo aesthetic and also like the shabby chic aesthetic in general to always have some kind of frilly dress or petticoat thrown over a bed or a chair almost like it's a throw blanket Mm. I do this sometimes too. I, I had a moment where I had like this big ruffled dress that I bought for $3 and it just didn't fit me. So I hung it up on my wall as decoration. Yeah, it's a really creative style. Yeah, I mean, I feel like all chicks do this to some extent. You go through a phase where you're like, I need to hang my dress up as decoration. Like yeah. that is just thing. But <laughs> it's true. This vintage fair, I was there for like hours and hours and it was in this very, very depressing hotel conference room. And this isn't related to the conversation, but there were like no no changing rooms, like sample sale style. They just had like a door to another part of the co- the conference room, and there's mirrors, and you had to like strip naked in front of each other and try on your tattered Victorian clothing, which honestly was really epic. But there were so many things that were like tattered beyond repair, which just made me want them more, I guess. And I feel like it's like that same thing. It's like the baby blanket effect where you wear your baby blanket down to like a single string and you're like I love him more than ever before yeah it's like the thing that went really viral of the stuffed animals before and after kids have them it's like to be loved is to be changed um period oh yeah to be loved is to be changed yeah also I'll condense this a little bit when when vintage is in really bad condition you kind of feel more comfortable with it and like free to wear it um I bought this 50s wedding dress off of Etsy when I was spiraling downwards and I took pictures in it once, but it was so delicate that it was just like falling apart every time I took a breath. And the Etsy seller sent me this long note that was like, do not wear this to a party. Like this is a historical garment. Like it's not meant to be worn in a social setting. And yeah, I did accidentally fuck it up. But then after that, I was like, okay, like this is already fucked up. I paid for it. This is fine. Wait, okay, that actually happened to me a couple hours ago. I went into a vintage <laughs> store and I was looking for a bathing suit because I forgot mine. And I like asked the lady, I was like, can I – um, like, do you guys have any bathing suits? And she was like, yeah, but are you going to wear it to go swimming? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, I don't sell it to people that are going to go swimming because it's like a vintage. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to swim it. <laughs> and then I just bought it because I told her I was like, but I'm definitely going to swim in it. I'm like, this is a bathing suit. Like, I don't know. What, is yeah. it like really old? It's from the 60s, but it's mm. – I don't think it's – like it's in really good condition. I don't think it's be that big of a deal, but it's mine now. Like, you know, I, I know I that's, I want with it. that's like, the thing. Know. Like, there's no – I'm stealing your lines, <laughs> but <laughs> there's, there's no point in purchasing something if you're not going to wear it, unless you're going to throw it over your bed or something. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, Biz, I'm sure you have some expertise in this area because – you are a costumey stuff. Yeah. That's really nice. Um if you say, but yeah, I feel like when you encounter these silks, there is like kind of a nice like these vintage silks, there's like a nice feeling, like compared to synthetic modern contemporary garments, for example, like the Target dress that Lana is wearing, I imagine. Um <laughs> so I think we've mentioned the designer all is a gentle spring 
before and she did an interview or was profiled recently and she said that, like part of her inspiration for her brand was going to clothing stores and she felt like when she would rifle her fingers across the clothes on hangers it felt like when you would stick your hand into the plastic bag that's holding a bunch of plastic bags underneath your sink in the kitchen um and i feel like so, even though with these like falling apart garments obviously they you know have holes in them etc but it's kind of like the opposite experience it kind of gives you like synesthesia or something mm-hmm. even though there's like water damage bad condition etc yeah yeah i think um it's like very frou it's like the word frou-frou you know i think it does something mm-hmm. to your brain when it like fabrics just like ruffling and rustling together you know yeah um, yeah, you're really struck by the power of your own movements and how a delicate fabric is when it's very old. Um, Indeed. That's why I like those kind of crazy vintage sample sale situations because, like, you have to strip down naked in front of each other and it's, like, you feel like you're going to snap off a button in this, like, frenetic conference room of naked women. <laughs> Once again, giving me synesthesia. Um, okay, anyways, so let's talk about some of the kind of fashion precedents for Shabby Chic. So... There's a very, very famous collection from John Galliano for Dior Couture Spring Summer 2000. It famously was known, slash is known as his homeless collection because it was inspired by homeless people. And I actually think that though this collection is really, really famous, I don't really see people talking about it as much as you think they would these days. Uh, It's really mostly famous because Carrie Bradshaw wore a newspaper dress from the collection in Sex and the City, and that dress has been, like, endlessly referenced and ripped off since. Uh, But this collection is not really shabby chic in the faded floral sense, but still worth mentioning because there's an interesting connection between 90s designers, and as we know, 90s is... The 90s is when Rachel Ashwell was also getting started in kind of deconstruction motifs in design. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... And also, like, people were really also dealing with these, like, romantic and historical themes um, at the time, like Galliano himself. So, for example, like, Margiela's early collections in the 90s were called shabby chic by the press at the time, and we obviously wouldn't call those shabby chic today. Uh, And also people who kind of liked the Dior homeless collection were being like, oh, well, it's just, like more deconstruction it's not that big of a deal it's like uh calvin klein making jeans look dirty but overall there is a distinction i think between homeless chic all like the olsen twins when they were at nyu and shabby chic do you guys agree yeah i think what caused a lot of the controversy with galliano is that he just very explicitly said that he was inspired by the homeless of paris he said he was like inspired by the homeless while he was running down yeah. or jogging down the river Sienne or whatever. But. Yeah, it's like saying the quiet part out loud for sure. Uh, yeah, I actually would love to read his response to that. So there's a good New York Times article from 2000 describing basically both sides of the reaction to this collection. And first I want to start with a description of the looks for context. So GR models who starved themselves pose as the starving. They came down the runway, raggedy and baggy, some swathed in newspapers with torn linings and inside-out labels, accessorized with empty little green J&B whiskey bottles, tin cups dangling from the derriere, bottle caps, plastic clothespins, and safety pins. Some posed as lunatic ballerinas in frayed tulle, others in straight jackets and white, white madhouse makeup. 
Galliano said he was inspired by the French homeless, as well as the mentally ill in Diane Arbus's photos. <laughs> he also said that his collection evoked the rag balls of the 1930s when French socialites had worth make their tattered duds. Mm. Yeah, this is the thing about this collection is that it wasn't super homelessy. He had other collections in menswear, I think in 2011, that were explicitly very, very homeless. But this one, I think, is just more like tattered trash core. Like it is very deconstruction, more so than I think homeless, you know? It's really funny the mentally ill part of it or like white madhouse makeup. Reminds me of still what Shabby Chic is doing today with their, like, Mad Hatter accessories. Mm. Like, it really does give freak show American Horror Story. American Horror Story, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just, true. There is such a weird precedent in, like, Magnolia Pearl in this Galliano collection, which is so strange. But also, like, I... Anyway, so I think there's, like, a really whimsical side to this collection and that's why i wanted to bring it up because like i said it still has that like frayed tool and top hats that feels like such a ancestor to magnolia pearl mm-hmm. um and also thinking about the american iteration of this galliano said of the controversy children are brought up to watch lady and the tramp and charlie chaplin and the little rascals i didn't set out to make a political statement i am a dressmaker but jogging around the sign has thrown Paris into a whole different light for me. I call it the wet world. There are shades of Tennessee Williams and Marlon Brando. Some of these people, and he means homeless people, are like impresarios. Their coats worn <laughs> over their shoulders and their hats worn at certain angles. It's, it's fantastique. Um, I thought that like Tennessee Williams part was funny and like out of pocket. Yeah, out of pocket, but true. The Tennessee Williams thing... Like, Shabby Chic in general gives kind of streetcar named Desire a bit. I was actually going to ask Viz about this. I know the answer, but I'm not going to say that. But I think – don't know the answer. (laughs) Yeah. I know. But um, I think that there is something very New Orleans about this. I was sharing this to my boyfriend, and he was like – I was like, what what do you think of Shabby Chic or whatever? And he was like, this is very New Orleans to me. And I was going to ask Viz because she lived in New Orleans. And, yeah, I was, like, researching – all of this and I was reminded of the um, the famous river enterprise of Grimes and her boyfriend when she – this is a bit of Indy Slee's history here, but Grimes had like a shabby chic era in 2009 when her boyfriend and her tried to sail down the Mississippi River on a DIY houseboat and they called it the Velvet Glove Cast and Iron and it was loaded with live chickens, a sewing machine, and 20 pounds of potatoes. And her boyfriend said, her boyfriend said in an interview about this, he said, I love the idea of the Tom Sawyer adventure. The problem is that it's not 1883. You can't do that anymore. You have to follow the rules. And like they kept getting stopped by police because it was seriously like a hazardous houseboat. Like they built the houseboat themselves. And the cops were like, this is just like a piece of trash. Like, why are you sailing this down the river? Like, you can't do this. Like, just take a bus or something. But Back to New Orleans, their destination was New Orleans. And so I think at some point there is kind of like a shabby chic era of New Orleans, but way more crusty, not like the wealthy, jobby kind of Christian girl version of it. I wanted to get your take, Biz. What is your take? Uh, Yes. So I would say that's definitely not in the past. It's still very current in terms of I don't think it's ever going to go away in New Orleans. Like you said, it's a bit more crusty or punky than it is like overtly hippie or shabby chic in the Rachel Ashwell sense. So, like, I will say there's a lot of neighborhoods, like the Bywater and the Marini and stuff, where people are always just, like, 
sitting outside on their porch on their shotgun doubles and just like chilling and making merry and they have a very bohemian approach to life that's definitely captured in the way that they dress and they're all like woke landlords to be honest Mm. and like they're like or like flair bartenders and they i don't know they really live the life to be honest but i think what it feels like is different about new ones is it often like i said alludes that like european daintiness or prettiness that's often present in shabby chic with like the florals the washed out pastels it does veer towards like you said sam kind of like grimes is a bit more punk a bit more steampunk but yeah i think it's always going to be like alive and well in the city of new orleans which makes sense because uh there's a really bohemian history there yeah the french connection the french connection is important i think yeah i really wish to have been on that boat with grimes like that is (laughs) a crazy thing because the mississippi river is used by barges that are like bigger than like some states it they're so massive so i don't know like she was up against a lot by trying to do that yeah she also was she famous she she was like pre-famous right i think it was pre-famous yeah pre-famous but they were definitely like scene stars because there's like interviews of them like Mm -hmm. in like weird blogs like hipster blogs being like these two hipsters are trying to steal down the mississippi river and i think it was like maybe one of the first few times that she did anything newsworthy from her first press clipping yeah they were trying to go from canada that's like i feel like they would actually die Yeah. yeah they had that's why the cops were like you can't do this this is like super like dangerous and a hazard you know like, I don't know. There's, There's definitely like, going to be a movie made about that someday. <sighs> I want to do it. That. I feel it's like, like Deliverance. Have you guys seen that movie? It's kind of yes, also about... Yes, I have seen... This is so Deliverance. Oh, I actually yeah. Deliverance. I actually love so the album. Though. Yeah. No, I've been wanting to read the book. Um, But yeah, it you is very gruesome. <laughs> we should popcorn read Deliverance in the yeah. podcast. I, yeah. Honestly, I feel like some parts of my life are so deliverance coded, but like yeah. we don't need to get into that. Wait, really? Um, I've actually never seen the movie. I just read a synopsis of it on Wikipedia because Trisha Paytas was talking about like the kid. <laughs> oh, the kid that plays a banjo. You need yeah. to watch the movie, Alexi. It's okay, so, it. It sounds really like scary. Cinema. It's really scary. It is a big Burt Reynolds, isn't it? He's it's hot. also like yeah, disgusting. Okay. Yeah, it's, well, it's nasty. It's a nasty movie. I'll yeah. I'll get in, I'll get into it someday. Um, but yeah. regarding Grimes and New Orleans crust punk shabby chic. It really does seem like there is some kind of class divide or political divide between these two types of groups of people that are similar in that they're engaged with this DIY spirit and love eclecticism and old junk, but we really don't associate them with each other. Because there's also the Portland kind of put a bird on it hipster version of this, but you wouldn't really call that shabby chic, I don't think. And maybe it also comes down to a difference in color schemes as well, because I associate that picture of Grimes on her houseboat, for example, is really like jewel toned and brown, but Rachel Ashwell's shabby chic is very white and pink and pastel. Uh, yeah, I think it really has to do with what you physically look like as well. Like I keep keep I keep coming back to the idea of like Sienna Miller blonde types because mm-hmm. it's the most common person you'll see wearing this in London. But it's like, do you have baby bangs or don't you? And then like yeah. we'll know the answer. If you're shabby chic or if you're like put a bird on it shabby. Yeah. At the Magnolia Pearl flagship location, there's two women who are attending me. One of them must have been like 19. 
And she was very blonde and very stunningly beautiful um, and very like casual, sunny, smiley. Like she just seemed like a cheery, happy person. And I was like, can't these two groups of people just get along because they love DIY and upcycling. That's my vision for the world of how we're going to, I don't know, bridge the gap of. I feel like they come together in like every hipster neighborhood though. You yeah. know, there's always like one side of the road that's all the like Christian girl coffee shops and the other side of the road that's like um the skate shop and like stickers. <laughs> yeah. 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 I just want to talk about something near and dear to my heart, which is that Jack White is kind of like a bit put a burn on it, shabby mm-hmm. chic, because he got his start upholstering sofas. <sighs> And he would sew secret poems and messages into, like, the stuffing of the sofas, which is, Whoa. like, so Jack White. I would love to so have epic. a Jack White original sofa. I'm obsessed with him. I, like, he is the demon in my nightmares. Ugh, I love him so much. I feel like yeah. him and his, like, the white stripes are almost that Diane Arbus type circus. Oh, totally. He totally wanted to yeah. look crazy. Yeah. See, this is the thing. There, there's so many things that are just like bordering on rockabilly, and I feel like there's something bordering on rockabilly about Jack White too. Oh, definitely. Kind of he's cool, like he's pretty you know? rockabilly now. Like he lives in Nashville. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, he's based in Nashville, and well, there's I, well, I can't get into it. Can I can't s- get into all the things I know about him. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna start cutting open slip covers and looking for um some Jack White messages everywhere. So if, yeah. if I come to your house with the purposes, <laughs> you know what I'm looking happen. for. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, okay. I'll just say like one food I think is very shabby chic is those blob cakes. That, in our discord a couple months ago, people were talking about like the artsy blob cakes that people make on Instagram. Um, and I feel like that's very shabby chic. We need to talk about recession core a little bit, but Basically, Recession Core is probably like the most talked about down and out aesthetica right now, which is basically the idea that celebrities are taking a more minimalist approach to dressing. So not wearing a lot of like lavish jewelry on the red carpet. Um, But personally, I feel like that is like a way more of like a minimalistic response in the same vein as what happened in fashion following the 2008 financial crisis, which tying it back into like culinary trends that that was the same time when like naked cakes started becoming popular which is basically a cake where you scrape the frosting off of the outside so you can see the cake layers Mm. so it's a little bit shabby chic but it's also super super tidy and orderly but like the the connection i'm trying to make here is that um like recession minimalism is the same thing as a naked cake and shabby chic is the same thing as like a blob cake that's like oozing flowers mm-hmm. yeah but i just love like cake facts so yeah Phew. i think um with got the that recession- off my chest <laughs> <laughs> oh my god good yeah food trends interesting to look at those i feel like maybe it would be interesting to take a deeper look at food trends in the future since we're such foodies on this podcast but i, I think yeah, the recession core thing. It really is such a discourse right now and it feels so overdone. I feel like their people are projecting a lot. It's the same thing with the criticisms of Magnolia Pearl being poverty core. I'm like, I don't think that we need to go to bat to defend like Oliver Twist and like his aesthetics. You know what I mean? Like I don't think any poor actual poor pers- person relates to those aesthetics. There was a lot of discussion about a month ago when we first recorded this episode 
about Macron, the president of France, wearing a really expensive watch on French television and then kind of noticing it and taking it off. And Mm -hmm. now he's wearing plastic sports watches. And I think on the flip side, the luxury marketplace has become really devalued in a unique way. I think this is like where a more interesting conversation of recession core could take place. Like kind of how the Chanel flat bag is depreciated in value for the first time ever, which is like one of the few women's wear items that still appreciates in value within the luxury marketplace. And Charles Gross like democratizing, obtaining a Birkin, that type of thing. I think generally we're experiencing a little bit of a reversal where luxury marketplace items are becoming more accessible or something along that, those lines. And knowledge of them is becoming more accessible and more as- aspirational for poor people. And rich people are rejecting that. Like, I think partially they're becoming more minimalistic because the internet has democratized knowledge of the luxury marketplace more so than a response to recession core where the rich people feel like they're going – they feel embarrassed of their wealth or something. I think nothing about this era right now is indicating that rich people feel embarrassed about flexing their wealth. They're just doing it in different ways, I think. Yeah, and trying to evade – it seems like taxes. The, yeah, trying to evade taxes and <laughs> trying to evade more poor. The the reconnaissance of um <laughs> of Charles Gross and his ilk. It's like his we gotta ilk. come up with something new really quick to like <sighs> That's so true. Out yeah. outrun the TikTok pocket watchers. But yeah, yeah, we've had a few requests to do things like quiet luxury stealth wealth type episodes and this like type of economic based trend forecasting, especially with succession. Um, and there is a huge market, as you mentioned, for commentary on this. But I think even more important than the commentary is the meta commentary of like, why is everyone so interested in what quote unquote true rich people are doing? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it is getting more and more inaccessible. And this kind of reminds me of like the caviar cope, Justin Murphy thing too. everyone is obsessed with rich people, like loving them or hating them, I think more than, more than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, new money, old money discourse, which we get into a lot, honestly, but I feel like just for the vibes, but yeah, this is, this but no, I it's like, like, we don't get into that. I yeah. Like- no, there are literal people. Like there's this one girl on TikTok that I'm thinking of who like, she does like this fake British accent. She's like, I'm your old money aunt. And oh then she like is teaching yeah, people. That is. Oh, Her she's name terrible. is like Kiki DeVille or something. Yes, it's Kiki. <laughs> It's Kiki and she's DeVille. like, it's Auntie Kiki here to tell you. And she, like, it's, she's doing this as a really, like, fashion-core Cruella thing. And I'm like, there's no way. Why do you think she's actually her? from an old money family? No, I don't. But, like, there's something about her that really charms me. Yeah. Well, anyways. But I, I know Kiki. you. Kiki, Kiki do really... you love me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Oh, my God. Um, like, I don't know. It just, it kind of makes me. It's like, get a job. Yeah, it's just, like, you are not rich so stop worrying about it maybe like mm. whatever i start sounding like a hater in the script somewhere but i can't nah. I don't remember listen we support people hating the rich but also maybe maybe it's a bit of a distraction to yeah. be thinking about does my zara t-shirt look give like money. <laughs> yeah this is my zara t-shirt give money. maybe do something else i don't know like yeah no it's true it's true like there, you know, it's like it's fine. I think generally people have been fascinated by wealth and that sort of thing. But I just feel like, um, yeah, this is like a this is it's bad for your mental health. I think to start like hyper focusing on playing the keeping up with the Joneses game, which is very eighties. You know, um, nothing good comes of it. It's a very unfulfilling um, and identity fracturing game to play. So just 
like I don't know yeah like, focus on yourself and like what surrounds you I think it also goes with my theory that the at the basis of TikTok is like this thing and then another thing like every audio mm-hmm. that succeeds like a transition from like not wearing makeup to wearing makeup or like makeover before and afters but yeah. the old money new money thing also fits into that format really well these like snap judgment videos that have like no historicism or context to them that are just like mm-hmm. this thing is old money this thing is new money like it's basically an in and out list that people are more and more compelled to keep up with of like driving this car is old money like whatever my my whole theory on this i mean the binary thing is very true and i think generally in the transition thing is very true and i think i think it's a a symptom of a lack of or, or like a symptom of like an addiction to instant gratification like it's with the transition thing like you don't want to go through like all of the steps of like developing you know it's like most of the people it's like body transition videos whenever they go to the gym for like a year and they transform their body yeah. and nobody is interested in like the actual hard part they just want the instant gratification of that like oh like this is what my body looked like after yeah and the same thing with like the snap judgments and things like the instant gratification of like acquiring knowledge without actually going through a knowledge acquisition process you know what i mean yeah I just think it's a symptom of That's why the undoing of all the gatekeeping around, like, rich people shit is, like, so successful because it's being delivered mm-hmm. to people with a quickness like never before. Like, you don't hear it from, like, a whisper at a party that yeah, you had to, like, true. scrape your way into a la Babylon, which is a movie that I love. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, we just think that r- poor people are cool. <laughs> and I'm, I'm over the one-sided romance of, um, like, everyone aspiring to, I don't know, impress, like, rich people because that's yeah. not where the real creative action is happening i mean yeah it is like the cookie monster sweatpants riz <laughs> guys take note because more on that will be coming soon in the cultural ether what else yeah i mean like fashion wise there's definitely a connection to uh, like indie sleeves because Corey kennedy who when we had before when we first recorded this had not been on the cover of new york magazine's it girl series but now she has and yeah i think there's like a popularity uh there was a popularity of corey kennedy-esque style post-recession uh and in our last bibliography on patreon i linked to a really interesting article on this phenomenon um but a commenter within that piece maybe i encountered this comment in my own research i can't remember but described Corey Kennedy as the little matchstick girl, which I think is, like, really funny. But there's this, like, something about a certain iteration of indie sleaze. Obviously, there's the idea of, like, the waif in terms of just being skinny, but then there's also the idea of the waif as in, like, you're a French street urchin performer from, like, Les Miserables, mm-hmm. Oliver Twist, and I think that is happening as well uh, in, in the sleaze, sphere. So it's like a bit of a merger between sleaze and shab. True. I think what, what seems to be happening is that it's just like shabby chic mother indie sleaze daughter. hmm Yeah. I also feel like free people has been trending a little bit lately. Yeah. Um, this summer, I feel like it feels like a layering rags type summer. I don't yeah, know why. for sure. I also think that the mm. Lana Del Rey vinyl type of coquette girl blogging posting is kind of shabby chic. Like those dainty florals that they started selling at Brandy Melville and those like tableau vivants that these girl bloggers set up for TikToks where it's like candles and roses and a note with lipstick kisses on it. Yeah, like when coquettes post 
a damn bitch who lived like this photo and it's just like a ripped up sheet on top of a mattress with nothing on it and just like a bunch of flowers and a bottle of wine or something and a computer that's very shabby chic to me uh yeah and also wild flower cases have been popping off again um shout out to zach who let me feel his wildflower phone case the other day but on the inside of the wildflower phone case which already feels like very shabby chic because it's always like dainty little bows they're made out of fabric which is literally Mm. just so bananas to me wow that's surprising Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Very interesting. I thought it was just plastic garbage peddled by Devin Lee Carson. <laughs> no, uh, bless her. But no, they literally pasted the fabric on the inside. Okay, so guys, oh. should we do some would you freaking rather's? Yes. So let's do it. Okay, I have one here. Mm-hmm. Would on. you rather run out? <laughs> <Go on. laughs> <laughs> that was the popcorn part. Um, would you would you rather run out of 20 pounds of potatoes on a houseboat with Grimes and have to eat crawfish out of a ditch on the side of the highway? Or would you rather um, have to train hop with the Magnolia Pearl founder to New Orleans? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I mean, for me, it, it's a good question because – I don't know. I love Grimes so much and I love her even at her lowest, but some might say that was her highest. Um, <laughs> anyway, I would I would do anything to be on that houseboat with her. It's an important part of American history to me. It yeah. so is. Yeah. American-Canadian <laughs> relations. Yeah. Even if we ran out of that 20 pounds of potatoes, I think our love could keep us warm. <laughs> 20 pounds is not a lot. Like, I, don't f- I feel like it's I not. guess they're heavy. Yeah. One potato is like one pound. That is little matchstick girl vibes as well. Um That's true. Do you remember whenever she said that she would only eat like pasta but with no seasoning or anything on it? No, it yeah, spaghetti. and her doctor said she would spaghetti. she was becoming malnourished because she got yeah. scurvy or something. Yeah. She got scurvy. Yeah, yeah, okay, but like crawfish crawdads. They do frighten me. I think that Grimes the type of girl who could like decapitate them really quickly and stuff. Mm-hmm. She has nimble street urchin like fingers. But she speaking of the spaghetti, she definitely does need the protein of the crawfish. So we should send her some crawfish. It's yeah. starting like to sound like a delicious. Them. I feel like she like, would raise them. Yeah, frutti di mare kind of thing where it's like it's some giving seafood lemon boil. pasta with yeah. I think oh. we could actually start having a a good feast on that houseboat in my imagination yeah i agree i feel like i am kind of coming at the other direction with this is that i would honestly train hop with the founder of magnolia pearl because i feel like grimes is just kind of like not all there mentally like i feel like she just like wouldn't be able to survive like i think it would be really hard to coordinate the logistic of survival on the house but i feel like i'd get really frustrated with her or something be like we get it together we gotta focus or something you know <laughs> and i feel like the magnolia pearl founder is really good at logistics because she's a businesswoman and we would be able to get to our destination faster and survive like whenever we're train hopping you know what i mean yeah as we've mm-hmm. learned she's also an international businesswoman so <laughs> yeah like, they take trains in india i could see her it's giving and supply it's chain management like i know yeah she exactly. knows how to do trains planes and automobiles mm-hmm. but i also feel like mm-hmm. she would shoot someone like I do feel like she would get a, a gun and, sh- and shoot someone to defend him. Deliverance style I think but yeah I haven't seen that movie obviously it does happen but... in Deliverance yeah it does there are guns um, in like a Hunger Games situation I would definitely want to be with Mrs. Magnolia Pearl 
yeah, I think we should do an episode on the Hunger Games because I like it's been I think about it every single day and I watched it in a shabby chic cottage while eating shabby <laughs> I while eating shabby chic food by the shabby chic fireplace. I mean, yeah, wow. Katniss is Appalachian. She's kind of shabby chic in the beginning in a that's so true coal miner's daughter and she's type fine of way. as hell. Yeah, she's a bit of a baddie. She's but if a that's bit of a, a baddie. I don't. Yeah, John Galliano would have loved that movie. Mm-hmm. He re- but he's still alive. Like, 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 <laughs> but I don't know. Really I don't dis- think he watched it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Wait, no. She Jennifer Lawrence wore Dior for her big red red carpet Oscars moment where she fell. Oh, yeah, oh. she tripped over Dior. Dude, oh my he God. sabotaged everything. The multiplicity connected. of everything. Yeah. Um. <laughs> okay. You know, there's a lot about the Hunger Games in this. Like, okay. Okay. Yeah, I do feel like. In the second Hunger Games, Alexi, as you know. Also, I found out that one of my friends ran a Hunger Games fan page that was, like, famous for, like, years. Oh, wow. I had a pretty famous Tumblr that was Hunger Games themed called Three Fingers to the Sky, so. This <laughs> was called... And it was, like, famous. Okay, long-ass username. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, like, the Facebook page oh. thing, where it was, like, you would like it type thing. That's quite vintage. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's vintage, oh, but... I, I miss those Facebook well, likes. Well, it's not that's too, like it's not too late. Whatever, it's, like, flipping the pillow over to the cold side. Oh. And it's, like, a, it's like, a Facebook page that you like, you know what I mean? I need that. Anyways. My room is really hot right now. But anyways, um, okay. I do feel like Grimes would be, like, a morphling hiding in the mud, I feel like she would hide in the mud, but maybe she would. I, I don't know. I I get the sense that she would be like fox face in the first one. Like she would be really good at finding plants and hiding. She'd be like mm. on on defense. Yeah, you're probably right. Like running around really fast and like skirting everyone. Mm-hmm. True. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I wonder, would you guys rather be in a Hunger Games style battle with Rachel Ashwell for a shabby chic ottoman or with sienna miller for a tattered white dress and you have to kill each other so like basically the, the thing is you have to kill one of them or they can also kill you so that's like the, the caution to consider is that you might die or you might get a really cool shabby chic accessory yeah i think this is a good one i feel like i couldn't choose sienna miller because i know that she goes to pilates like every week or something i know every she day. just works out like crazy every day she goes yeah. every day and I think Rachel Ashwell, she's just kind of like a stay-at-home mom, you know, which is a very physically trying profession, but less so than the tone and spelt Pilates fanatic, you know? So I feel like I would win against Rachel Ashwell, even though it pains me to kill her. But I would want the dress more than I would want the ottoman. But I value my life <laughs> over all of those things. <laughs> That's good. I feel like you should value your life over that, I guess. Um, what about you, Alexi? I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of... Team Rachel. You want to kill her? Wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to kill her. No, I don't want to kill her. <laughs> um. Well, I guess you guys could have like a romance arc, like Peta and Katniss, and they'd have to let you go. Yeah, I would definitely eat Rachel. Eat- <laughs> Wait, <laughs> I would eat, eat Rachel, Rachel Berry. <laughs> Wait, Rachel Berry is like the girl from Glee. I know. Yeah, oh she God. is. Yeah. Stop. Anyway, I'm I'm eating berries with Rachel at the end on a giant slip covered couch. Like I just, <laughs> I believe in her mission so strongly. That's yeah. true. Like I feel like it's like the cornucopia, but it's covered in like muslin. Mm-hmm. Um you guys would do good, I think, together. But I feel as though yeah, Sina Miller looks like she has really, really strong 
biceps. But at the same time, Rachel Ashwell is older and I feel like she comes from more of the generation of like stiff upper lip Brits who I feel like she could iron lady me. Iron lady me basically and I would die. <laughs> so it's like a tough one for sure, but I feel like I could probably form a better alliance with her. So I'd go ally with Rachel. So I guess we all chose Rachel because we're all too scared of Sienna Miller. Yeah, she seems yeah. strong. Yeah, but we all want to have an alliance with Rachel ultimately. Yeah, if the alliance is on the table, I would take it because I don't want to kill anyone, you know? Like, yeah, no way. And intellectually, I, I don't know, I'd rather be on the right side of history with the foundress of Shabby She. <laughs> True that. Do you think that Sita Miller is um, on the wrong side of history? I think she's not like a victim, but. She's a vessel. Yeah. Yeah, that's the word I was looking oh. for. A vessel for people's creative vision, I think. Mm. Whereas Rachel is the vision herself. I don't agree. I I thought that for a long time, but then I watched like one of her movies for 15 minutes and I think that she has something to offer, but that is for another day. So guys, this is our second Shabbington Sheekington attempts. Not too shabby, guys. Not too shabby. Yeah, not too shabby Mic at drop. all. I am feeling quite shabby right now personally but let us know what you think of our dramatic reading skills and see where if you can clock what was scripted and what was natural because it was a mixture of the two don't (laughs) we did a really good job i feel like we can wrap it up i really enjoyed talking to you guys about this well major key guys is that the last time i read rachel ashwell's blog she's apparently moving back to her homeland of england uh, that's honestly good for her. Yeah, and she's renting out her crazy shabby chic house in Malibu, where, you know, it all started. So if any of you are in the market for somewhere to live and you have a lot of money and you want to immerse yourself in this aesthetic at the shabby chic headquarters, you should check and see if it's still in the market. Wait, actually, I talked to one of the oh, Magnolia God. Pearl workers there about that. <gasps> um, and she was she told me the same thing. She was like, "Did you know you can rent out Rachel Ashwell's house?" And I was Wait, like, "Really." Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh God. yeah she, she, she said that it's like always booked, but like at the first day of the month, they reopen bookings and like what? they are booked within seconds. Yeah. She gave me like a tip on how to book the Malibu house. Damn. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. It's like fucking grailed or something. Yeah. Or like, yes, yeah, it's a <laughs> drop. Um, yeah. New shabby you know, shit just dropped. Yeah. I just feel like this is depressing to me because she should not be Airbnb in her house. Like, yeah. That is adding a layer of shabby that is not part of the mix. It's not very chic. It's just yeah. shabby. It kind of yeah, gives but... me the vibe of like, you know how you can, like, Bella Swan's house in Twilight is an Airbnb now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I it's guess similar. that sort of, yeah. Um, but I feel like Pamela Anderson should move back in. She used to have a really amazing shabby chic house in the 90s that is on the Pinterest board. And, like, she still has... Her house now is shabby chic, but it was, like, on another level back in the day. So she should definitely rent Rachel's house, and then she should buy it. Yeah, I think our house right now that we saw in the documentary, she has, like, a house in Canada that's very shabby chic. She's, like, all about upcycling and antiquing, etc. Yeah, I feel like in the 90s it was still, like, more whimsical. But I'll have to look at Rachel's while 
all right well everyone thanks for listening to this week's episode hope you enjoyed it i know we really did so let us know if you guys have been feeling shabby in your hearts and souls <laughs>